This morning we are going to be studying in the book of Matthew. I would invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 3. And for the children ages 2 to 6, we do have children's church. And parents, you can take your children to the back of the sanctuary and then they will be taken to uh, where they will have uh, the children's church. When I have been preaching after I finished verse by verse through the book of Second Timothy, uh, several times ago when I had the opportunity to preach, I started a study of the book of Matthew. And that's why this morning we are in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, the first six verses. Also in your bulletin is an outline sheet and on the back are some questions that can be used in discussion with others uh, after the morning service. We all know, of course, that uh, we have just uh, gone through the Christmas season and as happens every Christmas, Probably every one of us sang several different times, joy to the world. Um, I'm guessing, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it would be true. I have sung that song every Christmas of my life, and you probably have too. And, you know, the first line is joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. John the Baptist would be thrilled with those words. Of course, they hadn't been written yet uh, in his ministry. But uh, he would be thrilled with those words because they so capitalize his ministry, which is where we've come this morning in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's emphasis, as we've seen in this Gospel, is Jesus the King. He's the Messiah. He's the King of Israel. And uh, each one of the Gospels has an emphasis on Christ. The Gospel of Mark emphasizes that Jesus is a servant. He came to not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Luke's emphasis on Christ in his Gospel is that Jesus is a man. He's the perfect man. And then John's emphasis in his Gospel is Jesus is God. Every one of those pictures is certainly true. But it's also interesting when we study the Gospels to see the particular emphasis on on one of those. And in Matthew's case, it is on the fact that he is king. In chapter 1 of Matthew, Jesus' kingship is shown by his birth. Uh, and, And Matthew gives his genealogy showing that he is the descendant of David. He is the one person in his generation who would be qualified to reign on the throne of David. We went into detail on that when we went through the genealogy, but um, we can't go into it all this morning. But you remember, there's a problem in the genealogy, that one of the kings was so wicked, one of the descendants of David, that, that God said no one else from, from this line through this king, Jeconiah, will sit on the throne. How in the world is the Messiah going to be able to sit on the throne? And that's where the virgin birth came in. Jesus was not biologically the son of Joseph, who was in that cursed line. 
But Jesus was a descendant of David, but through another line, through his mother Mary. And so therefore, biologically, he's a descendant of David, and then he's the adopted son of Joseph, so, so he has the rights to the throne without the curse that was put on that line. An amazing thing in Scripture. Then chapter 2, Matthew's emphasis, Jesus' kingship is shown by the circumstances surrounding his birth. Here come the kingmakers of that era, these wise men or magi from the east, from Persia. And we went into all the implications of that. And they come and they bring kingly gifts to this king. Now in chapter 3, his kingship is shown through the announcement of his birth. Just as when a king, when a prince would be born, who would be someday king, even today in England, there are trumpets and there are heralds and there are all these proclamations of this one who has been born. So there is a proclamation and an announcement about the birth of Jesus the king. So Matthew would love the words to joy to the world because they express the message that he preached. Yes, the message that the king has come, but also, remember that phrase at the end of the first line, prepare him room. And, and John the Baptist is proclaiming the king is coming and make room in your heart. For him, So that's where we're going uh, this morning. And since Jesus is a king, it's not surprising that God sent a forerunner to, to announce him because that was the common way things were done then. And so Jesus came, or John the Baptist came, to prepare the Jewish people to receive their king. And that preparation is not the preparation of roads. In those days, when a king came to a city, they would ahead of time prepare the roads so they were smooth for the king. Or they would prepare a palace. John the Baptist isn't saying, hey, we've got to prepare some roads and we have to prepare a, a palace. But you have to prepare your heart. And that's the heart of the preaching of this one who herald the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the herald of the king is named John, and his title, we have all grown up calling him John the Baptist. But what Baptist means here is not a member of a denomination. Today, when we say, oh, I'm a Baptist, or so-and-so, we're thinking a member of, of the Baptist denomination. What the word is communicating is John the baptizer. And uh, so it, it kind of would be a good thing for us to kind of shift our thinking of John the Baptist to that idea. What is a Baptist? Well, it's John the baptizer. And we're going to see about his baptism uh, this morning. <clears throat> now, Matthew wants to make sure that if the greatest man who lived up to that time is the herald of the king, 
And why do I call John the greatest man up to that time? Because in Matthew 11, 11, that's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. The greatest that has been been born up to now, born of women. Well, Matthew wants to make sure that we realize that if the greatest man who lived up to that time is the herald of the king, then how great must the king be? And that's the, the emphasis. Yes, Matthew is, is presenting this amazing man and the greatest man up to his time. But that's nothing compared to the one that he announced, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the last prophecy that was given in the Old Testament before the coming of the Messiah was in the book in front of Matthew. So turn a few pages in front of Matthew to the, to the book of, of Malachi. And Malachi, the last chapter, verses, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> Malachi, chapter 4. Now, Malachi was the last prophet, not just last in the order of books in our Old Testament, but last chronologically of all the prophets of the Old Testament. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now that's quite a prophecy. And John the Baptist or John the Baptizer was the fulfillment of that prophecy. How do we know that? Well, first of all, Think about the fact that God said that instead of bringing a curse on the world, like he did after Adam and Eve sinned, he's going to send the prophet. So instead of a curse, he's going to send the prophet Isaiah just prior to the coming of the Messiah, the king. Now, that prophecy of Malachi was fulfilled 400 years later with the birth of John the Baptist and with the ministry of John the Baptist. Um, that prophecy was then mentioned when an angel appeared to the father of John the Baptist, announcing that he and his wife, who were past the age of having children and had no children, that his wife was going to conceive, and not, not a virgin conception like Mary, but a natural conception, but miraculous because of their age, and have a son. And the Jewish people, um, as they're reading the Gospel of Matthew, they're coming to see that this special baby that was born to this elderly uh, man and his wife is none other than the fulfillment of this prophecy of the future coming of, of Elijah. Now, how can we say um, <clears throat> that John the Baptist is Elijah? Well, um, there are several things. Turn over to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 
there is a, a tremendous statement here about John the Baptist during the time of his ministry. In John chapter 1, 21 through 23, John chapter 1, 21. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? The prophet was a title in prophecy of the Messiah. And he says, I'm not. So they asked him, are you John the Baptist? And he said, not, that he wasn't. That was in the sense he is not a literal reincarnation of John the Baptist come from the dead. That's, that's not who he is. And uh, so they said, who, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And we'll see, talk, we'll go into detail in a little bit about that prophecy. But with that in mind, turn back to the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke chapter 1, when the angel appeared uh, to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, look at the words of the angel. In Luke chapter 1, verses 13 to 17. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you shall have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So that's the message of the angel that came from God, that this is Elijah, not in a physical resurrection from the dead sense, but Elijah in the sense that he is one sent in the spirit and power of Elijah. So how do we know that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that prophecy? Well, first of all, there's the word of the angel that we read in John, in, John, in Luke 1. And then there's the word of Jesus Christ uh, in Matthew 11, 13 to 14. I alluded to this earlier when, when Jesus talked about John uh, and that uh, John, uh, when, when he came, was the greatest that had ever lived. And uh, let's turn there. Matthew uh, chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. Matthew 11, verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. For if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. And that had been preceded in verse 11 by that statement that John the Baptist was the greatest. So John, Jesus testified John the Baptist is that fulfillment. And then Jesus did in Matthew chapter 17. Uh, these verses in 10 to 13, uh, the Peter, James, and John just saw Elijah 
literally uh, in his glorified body when he appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in John 17, uh, verses um, 10 to 13, we read in verse 10, And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. By the time Jesus said this, Elijah had been killed by King Herod. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at his death. So we have the testimony of the angel have the testimony of Jesus that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that promise in Malachi. He came in the power and the spirit of Elijah. It's interesting today that Jewish people are still waiting for Elijah. They don't understand that uh, he has come in the person of John the Baptist. Every year at Passover in a Jewish home, they have an extra chair. And it is left, they say, for Elijah, if he would come that night. Well, let's get back to Matthew chapter 3. And in honor of God's word, let's stand and follow along as I read Matthew 3, verses 1 to 6. <clears throat> in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And there were baptized by him in the river they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is God's word. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, looking at John the Baptist's ministry, we see first of all John's setting. Uh, that's in verse one. In those days. The those days refers to the days of Messiah. Because you remember, the book of Matthew does not begin with chapter 3. It obviously began in chapter 1, where Matthew is beginning to give the account of the coming to the world of the Messiah. So when he says, in those days, it is in those days when the Messiah came. And Luke, when he identifies the timing, he does it by the calendar. Uh, he said it was in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, which we can compute today. We would say that was in 26 AD. And at that time, Israel was a conquered nation. They were under the thumb of Rome. Um, they were treated like a conquered nation. It was not a very pleasant time for them. And they had gone 400 years without God speaking to them through one of his prophets. 400 years of silence where God had not spoken. And they were, many of them who, who were students of scripture, were wondering, 
when will God speak? And it was in those days that John, now the birth of John is described in Luke 1, not in Matthew. Uh, Matthew doesn't say anything about his background. Probably the reason being, to the people that Matthew wrote, the Jews of that time, he was one of the most well-known people of that era. And so John has, or Matthew has, has the emphasis on talking about Christ, so he doesn't go into the background of John because he knows that his readers already know about it. <clears throat> but he calls him John the Baptist. That's his title because of his activity of baptizing the people. And he says, John the Baptist came preaching. Now, the Greek word that is translated there, came, is used by Matthew uh, other times to indicate an official arrival, such as in chapter 2, verse 1, the arrival of the Magi. And he talks about the Magi came. He's going to use that expression in chapter 3, verse 13, with the coming of Jesus to begin preaching and teaching. He came. So it seems to be that Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is just with that simple little word came, is emphasizing this is not just any coming. This is significant. And so he came preaching. And by preaching he means he's making a message known. Uh, He is called a herald, proclaiming a message. To us, preaching is a sermon that's organized, hopefully around the text of Scripture, and it has an outline and so on. His preaching wasn't that. It was simply proclaiming. It was proclaiming the simple words that we are going to read uh, in the following verses. And his preaching was in the simplest of terms. So he came preaching. Where did he come preaching? In the wilderness of Judea. Now the term wilderness indicates a very barren area. Not many people could make a living there. There's not much growing there. And uh, it's an area between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. It's arid and barren. And John's preaching out in that wilderness attracted people from Jerusalem and all the cities. And it's interesting that his preaching was there to attract the people there. Why should they leave their comfortable houses in Jerusalem? Well, it could be that it was designed by God that he would be communicating to them the fact that their heart is arid and barren and they need new life. It's an interesting thing that's pictured by being out there in the wilderness. Whether that's behind it or not, I don't know, but it is speculation. God's desire that these people would realize the desolate condition of their hearts. Then we come to John's message, and that's in verse 2. Matthew gives a summary of John's preaching. Look at verse 2. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, repent 
is also the first word of Jesus' first message, which is going to be in chapter 4, verse 17. But what is repentance? Repentance is turning from sin to fellowship, or to holiness, and to fellowship with God. It's more than a change of mind. Yes, the Greek word is made up of two words that means change mind. But what was communicated by the word was more than just changing your mind. It's turning from sin and turning to holiness, turning to the Lord. One time uh, in, in a Sunday school class, a group of children were being taught about repentance and what that means. And they, one of them said, well, it means being sorry for your sin. And then a little girl spoke up and she said, oh, it's better than that. It means being sorry enough to quit. And she was astute theologically with that word. It's, it's not just feeling sorrow, but sorry enough to quit, to turn uh, from sin. Now, what a shock to the Jews. Uh, the Jews thought, we're fine. And yet John is challenging their belief that they are already right with God. Why did they think that they were right with God? Well, first of all, they were Jews. They were God's chosen people. And this whole idea had just grown up over, over the generations with the Jewish people, thinking, well, we're, we're fine. Um, in fact, they even had a teaching that when a person would leave this life and they would, would enter into God's presence, Abraham would be at the entrance and he would say, oh, you're a Jew? Oh, come on in. They actually believed that. And so they thought they're Jews, they're God's chosen people, they're fine. They thought they were fine because they brought sacrifices to God. They thought that they were fine because they tried to keep the law of Moses. <clears throat> but their hearts were not right. And therefore, they were in the same condition as Gentiles. They needed repentance. Now, we can break, we can break repentance down into three elements. First of all, there's an intellectual understanding that sin is wrong. That we realize in our mind, you know, sin is wrong. Secondly, there is an approval or an agreement from our heart of the teaching of Scripture regarding sin. So it's, it's not just an intellectual, but it's from the heart of the teaching of Scripture on sin. And then thirdly, then there's a decision to turn from sin and live in a life of obedience uh, to the Lord instead. <clears throat> now, repentance happens simultaneously with our putting our faith and trust in Christ as our Savior. Not trusting in our works or our heritage or anything like that, but trusting in Christ. Works together with repentance. Repentance and faith in Christ. Wayne Grudem in his Systematic Theology book says, when we turn to Christ for salvation from our sins, 
we are simultaneously turning away from the sins that we are asking Christ to save us from. That is repentance. So repentance and faith are are essential if we're going to be in the kingdom of God. But repentance and faith are not just at the beginning of our Christian life. They are heart attitudes that are to continue in our lives until the Lord takes us home. So if you're a Christian this morning, I ask, do you have a heart attitude of repentance? It's not something that's just that you had on the day of your salvation, but it is to continue every day until the Lord takes us home. <clears throat> well, John, <clears throat> John continues, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven <clears throat> is at hand. Now, the term kingdom of heaven is only used in the Gospels by Matthew. Mark, Luke, and John use the term kingdom of God. Those are not talking about two different kingdoms. It's one. But Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. And Jewish people were very sensitive about using the name of God because of the commandment to to keep the name of God holy and and so on. So many times in, in expressions like this, they would put in the word heaven in place of God, and it meant the same thing. So John is doing that, and he says, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the term kingdom refers to the rule of God. Sometimes we speak of a kingdom as a geographical area, but here he's using it in the sense of the rule of God. And the kingdom of heaven includes everyone who repents and believes in Jesus Christ. Now he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, the Jews believed that if the nation of Israel repented for one day, the Messiah would come. They, They were that conscious of it. But at the end of Matthew... He shares with us that the Jews, instead of trusting Jesus as the Messiah, rejected him. And we have to remember that we who believe in Jesus as our Savior and have repented of sin are experiencing the kingdom right now. We are in the kingdom of God. And then also, someday, Jesus will come and establish his earthly kingdom on the earth. Then, in verse 3, we have John's purpose. What was the purpose of his ministry? Verse 3, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. 700 years before these events, Isaiah spoke spoke some words. It's in Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 3 and 4. And we're going to see those words as we read the quotation here. So this is the one who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. When he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. 